0: Good morning and welcome to Soul City. It is good. It's good to be together. It's good to be together as we continue this series Deconstructing Christmas. And as John mentioned, uh, my name is Jeannie Stevens. I have the privilege of being one of the founding lead pastors here at Soul City. And I I don't know if this is true of your inbox or, or maybe your social channels, but mine are flooded right now with all kinds of promotions, advertising, all of the products that marketers think I most want for Christmas, right? Every one of them has the same hope that I will buy whatever it is they're selling. I- I'm guessing I'm not the only one. Anybody else feel like your inbox is overflowing these days that it has been disrupted by an expansive amount of promotional emails? Yeah, it, it feels like everywhere I look there's an invitation. To get more stuff. Just get more stuff. And, and, and it's crazy. It happened to me this past week. I, I didn't even see it coming. I was actually on Instagram, I was watching a story from one of the home designers that I follow, that I like. And she was showing herself putting some, some velvet bows in the garland on her fireplace mantel. And she had all kinds of like stunning pictures of how the velvet bows looked. And then she showed a reel of her family and they were laughing and they were playing games and they were sipping hot chocolate as they decorated gingerbread houses that somehow actually stayed together. And of course, it was all set to like this perfect Christmas music with the perfect filter, like the snow was falling in the background. And you know, it was basically just Instagram perfection. And I don't know what came over me, but I looked at my own fireplace mantle, and I was disgusted. (laughs) Somehow at that moment, I determined what was missing from Christmas, what was missing from my life were those $9.99 velvet bows. And then, and then here's what got me. You know, you, you, you probably follow these, these Instagram influencers, right? And, and they know right where the little link goes and where their finger should point, right? And she's like, now listen, they're selling out fast, so you're going to want to hurry. And all you have to do is click the link right here. Right, And and, and I did. I clicked the link. She told me to. And then all of a sudden, those bows went right into my Amazon cart. It was a miracle. (laughs) Now, here's what's crazy. I had absolutely no thought before that Instagram story that my fireplace mantle was missing velvet bows. But I watched her story, and somehow all I could see was the missing bows and those two minutes on Instagram they revealed they revealed what Jeff Bezos has always known and now what has made him a billionaire you know what he has said what consumerism is at its worst is getting people to buy things that don't actually improve their lives he's known all along now thankfully the Holy Spirit came over me Convicted me. I removed the velvet bows from the cart. I didn't buy them. But listen, listen, even in a challenging economy, retail sales combined for November and December are predicted to grow between six and eight percent this year, with the likeliness of people spending $960 billion billion dollars this holiday season we all feel it don't we (laughs) we do don't we it's that feeling maybe that comes over you when you're like ah i'm behind on my christmas list there's so much more i need to buy right spending money that maybe you don't actually have escaping from from the stress in your life with online retail scrolling and i wonder today, has your Christmas become consumed with consumerism? Has your Christmas become consumed with consumerism? You know, I I think for so many of us, with the mounting demands on our time, with our stress levels being at an all-time high, deadlines at work, challenging relationships, getting sucked into Instagram reels that convince us in two minutes we need velvet bows. Many of us, we are just looking for a quick way to relieve our pressure. And consumerism does it. It's so easy to fall into the trap of believing that getting something new will give you what you need. But excess consumption does so much more than decrease our resources. It actually increases the chances of us truly feeling free. When all we think about is what can we get... It drowns out the reality that we were actually created to be people that give. And and I don't think any of us, I don't think any of us, we want our lives to be this way. In fact, it's probably why you are here today or or you're watching online. You don't want consumerism to consume you. And, And it's one of the things that I love most about the Christmas story because it is a story of extravagant Giving. Of course, Christmas is centered around God giving his son, Jesus. But each person in the story actually chooses to give sacrificially. Joseph gave. He gave up his picture of what he thought the start of his marriage would be. Mary gave birth to the Son of God. Without an epidural and a bunch of animals in her delivery room. Talk about giving, right? An innkeeper gave a manger because he didn't have enough room in his hotel. Angels gave good news of great joy to a group of unexpecting shepherds. And then the shepherds gave praise to God at the sight of the baby born in Bethlehem. The Christmas story is steeped in giving. And somehow, in all of the giving, everyone received more than they ever expected to receive. You know, I I was reading the different accounts of the Christmas story in the different Gospels this week. And I was struck when I read the story in Matthew um, because I, I was I was compelled by the story of the wise men, right? The wise men and the gifts that they actually brought to Jesus. In fact, uh, we're going to look at it this morning for just a moment. I want you to grab the Bible that's uh, under the seat, right, right near you. Uh, and we're going to turn to Matthew 2. It's found on page seven hundred. And 84 in the Soul City Bible. If you're watching online, uh, you can open another tab and go right there. And you know, for years, I actually, uh, when, when it comes to the wise men, I made a whole lot of assumptions about the wise men. Uh, and, and my assumptions came from two places they came from the song. We three kings and every nativity scene that I have ever seen, right? And I assumed because of that song and because of all of the different nativity scenes out there, I assumed that there were three wise men. But we don't actually know if there were three kings. We only know that there were three gifts, I assumed that they saw the same star as the shepherds and they showed up that night of Jesus' birth. But we don't know the exact time frame when the kings came to see Jesus because actually most historians believe it was most likely many months, maybe even a year or more, after Jesus was born. Now, not only were these kings compelled to go see the baby that everyone was talking about. But these kings were also then commissioned by Herod, the ruler of Jerusalem, to go and find Jesus. Because, because Herod was actually disturbed that people were already calling Jesus the king of of the Jews. So, so so the wise men, they were disrupted, right? They were disrupted by this star, they were compelled to go, and then they were commissioned by this king. So we're gonna take a look at this story in Matthew 2. In Matthew 2, starting at verse 7, it says, Then Herod called the Magi. And the, and the Magi, that's just another term for the wise men. He called the Magi and secretly found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child and as soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now Herod had absolutely no intention of worshiping Jesus, right? He had no intention. He just sent the magi so that he could figure out where Jesus was. Verse 9, it says, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So, so these these magi, these three wise men, if there were even three of them, they see a star in the sky. And they're so compelled. They're so compelled by this star that they choose to go on a 900-mile journey. That's how far it was from where they were, a 900-mile journey to follow it. Now you have to remember that that it's like walking from Chicago to Denver, okay? So if I were to say here today like anybody want to walk to Denver with me later today? right? Just meet me in the lobby, okay? No one would meet me there. That is a long journey. And so these kings, who obviously were also astronomers, you have to imagine that this 900-mile journey, I mean, that's going to take a while, right? They probably didn't have like just multiple open weeks in their schedules, right? They're kings. I'm sure they had all kinds of priorities. They had all kinds of plans that 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 they couldn't just leave behind. I'm sure a 900-mile journey like that, it had a few challenges along the way. But they set out on this physical journey that then became a spiritual journey. And And you know this, when we let go of comforts, And and we trust that we're being guided by something, being guided by someone, and in their case, being guided by this star to Jesus. These kings, they had more than enough resources in their life. They probably had a, a long run of consumerism. They had more than they needed, and yet they were compelled. They were compelled to go on a transforming journey because they were looking for more. And any transforming journey, it always begins with knowing where you are and being willing to go where your soul longs to be. And something drew the wise men to where their souls Longed to be. I imagine uh, they began their journey hoping, hoping, right? They're going on a 900 mile journey. They're hoping that they're going to get something from God. And yet, when they got there, they were instantly compelled to give. You can see it in verse 10. It says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. It literally stirred their emotions. When they saw Jesus with Mary, they bowed down and worshipped him. It literally moved their bodies into the form of worship. And the only response that then seemed fitting was gratefulness. They gave gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Just being with Jesus who was a baby, right? Listen, babies are cute, but I have never given a baby gold, frankincense, or mar, right? (laughs) He hadn't yet given them anything. And yet being in his very presence resulted in radical generosity on their parts. They gave him extravagant and heartfelt gifts because they were so grateful. And you know, gratefulness is the great fullness of God in our lives. That's what gratefulness is. It's that great fullness of God in our lives. And they experienced a great fullness at that moment. Just being in the presence of Jesus, it disrupted everything. And what they came hoping to get resulted in them choosing to give. And that's because giving gives you more than getting ever could. Friends, giving to God gives you more than getting ever could. And clearly, the gifts the wise men gave to Jesus, it, I mean, they, they said something, right? And, and when we give to God, we say something to Him with our gifts. We say, God, you are enough. You are enough. I, I might not have all that I want, but I have more than I need. When we give to God, we say, I trust that you are at work in my life. When we give to God, we say, in you, I find my purpose. And what's amazing in the story of the wise men is that after they gave the gifts to Jesus, it says they actually returned to their country by another route. Now, obviously, they were, they were trying to avoid Herod, but they went in a whole new direction. And that's because giving to God also sets us on a path of purpose and freedom and peace. It redirects how we live. And just like that, it did so with the wise men. And and the invitation to give shows up. It shows up in the most unexpected of ways in our lives. You know, the, the wise men, it was it was an utter disruption, right? They they weren't looking. They weren't looking for something to, to reorient their life. They, they weren't looking for, for a total shift and a turn. And yet often God uses the disruptions to redirect how he longs for us to live. And I I actually want to share a story with you this morning of a dear friend of mine and how God has been at work in his life in some rather unexpected, um, perhaps you would even say disruptive ways. Will you help me welcome my friend Mark Emery this morning? Thank you. So um, Mark is a dear friend, and you're going to love his story for multiple reasons, but perhaps one of the greatest reasons is he's British. (laughs) So you're just going to delight in listening to him talk over the next few minutes. But uh, Mark and Jenny are dear friends um, to Jarrett and I, dear friends to Soul City and this church. And uh, a couple years ago, Mark, uh, you had a holy disruption. (laughs) And um, your life shifted uh, really quickly. And uh, I would love for you to share with us um, your story and and what happened.
1: Thank you, Jeannie. Um, It was a big shift. Uh, I've enjoyed great health all my life. I ran the Chicago Marathon with the uh, Soul City team in 2019. Yeah, you did.
0: Come on.
1: I was was feeling good. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we headed into COVID. And uh, I had my prostate removed, uh, and that was shortly followed by my left kidney, my spleen, part of my pancreas, and Mm -hmm. a melanoma. I had four surgeries over 12 hours of surgery, and the surgeons identified four different cancers. One was an aggressive one, um, and it was a tough time in Mm -hmm. in all respects. for My family, uh, at one point, they dropped me off at the ER room in uh, Northwestern, and middle of COVID, Mm. um, so they wouldn't allow visitors, so they weren't able to see me, they picked me up seven days later.
0: Mm. Yeah, and um, anybody that has navigated a cancer diagnosis or has walked with a loved one through that, um, it disrupts every part of life, doesn't it? And um, I know that I, I watched you and your family walk through this, and what was so um, compelling to me, Mark, and, and all of this was through COVID, too. Um, what was so compelling to me was the ways in which you all leaned on God and you walked by faith all the way through it. Um, you were like the first one in the prayer hall every week. Um, you know, we had online prayer, right? And you were, you were always there. Um, and, and I would love for you to talk about uh, the role that prayer played. The role that depending on God played yeah. in this journey over yeah. the last couple of years.
1: Yeah. Well, we were very fortunate, my family, to have incredible support. Firstly, from Seoul City, um, food, prayer, just words of love, which really made a big difference at the start of this process. And um, but also, we 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 had great. I had great doctors and mm-hmm. nurses, phenomenal mm-hmm. doctors and nurses, families and friends. Some mm-hmm. some were here today. Praying and supporting us all made a difference. I I read a lot about um, God's supernatural healing. Yeah, uh, and read yes. a lot of books about it, um, which helped me and my faith. Uh, we had verses, worship music, all those things helped. But it wasn't. It was not a good situation. Yeah. The oncologist uh, I saw at one point uh, with Jenny, my wife, and he was showing me analysis of my longevity, and prospects for longevity, and the. Prospects of recurring cancer, mm. and I said to him at one point, "None of this looks good," and he said, "You're right." Mm. And uh, it really was only God moment because I, re- I think we realised that supernatural healing yeah. was the best,
0: yeah.
1: best option. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and, and at that point, God started to move. Mm. Um, we we um, in the Bible they talk about words of knowledge. Um, Mm-hmm. Some people call them sympathy pains, where an individual gets a word for someone else mm-hmm. that they couldn't possibly know. And that happened to me twice in the prayer hall. Peter and Jessica, two separate occasions, had words of knowledge mm-hmm. for me. They on the, they said on the left-hand side they were mm-hmm. getting a pain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they, Jessica said, this makes no sense to me. I said, it makes a lot of sense to me because mm-hmm. I've, I've had a lot of surgeries on my mm-hmm. left-hand side. Uh, and... Uh, I received prayer and that was the start of my healing.
0: Yeah. And it's been a journey. It's been a journey. You're healing. You're trusting in God. And I I would love for you to share uh, where your health journey is today.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm fully healed. Come Um, on. I've had 18 months of clean scans. Mm. The oncologist, um, the oncologist, uh, on a couple of occasions said, I'm pretty confident you've got recurring tumors. Um, I had multiple biopsies and scans, and he said to Jenny and me, on one of the occasions, smiling, he said, I've tried every way I can to prove you have cancer, and I mm. cannot.
0: Mm. <laughs> come on, come on.
1: So yeah, I'm, f- I'm fully healed, I'm, I'm um, exercising as I was before, before the surgeries Mm,
0: and i know that so much of this journey um has been steeped in dependence on god in prayer and um i know that you were one of the first people that i said hey we're going to expand the prayer hall and you were like it's about time (laughs) (laughs) and and i know how specifically um You know, you talked about how specifically Soul City has walked with you. But what God does, um, right on the other side of that wall in that space, I I would love for you to just share uh, about why it's so important to us as a church, why it's so important to you that we be people that walk by faith.
1: Yeah, well, Soul City means so much to Jenny and me and our, our family. And it's a priority for our giving. And we love so many things about Soul City. We particularly love being on the prayer team. I receive prayer from the elders, the senior pastors, a whole cross-section of the church multiple times, and um, my life has been changed by that. But we love the ministry of the, uh, the prayer team, House mm-hmm. of Hope, and others. Yeah. And uh, we love the idea of more people having the opportunity to receive prayer, to experience the support of yeah. House of Hope. Mm. And uh, I hope my story... Will bring comfort for those going through medical challenges, yeah. um, and to know that God really does heal. Yeah. And um, and uh, I, I you know, my my passion is to give back the healing I mm, received yes. to uh, to others.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Can you help me thank Mark and his beautiful, beautiful story? Mark, your your faith all the way through. Jenny, your faith all the way through to trust in God and to walk that out step by step by step and to not only go to that prayer hall to receive prayer friends they were there praying over people over and over and over again these two live their life as people devoted to give to give whatever God has given to them. And I just so longed for all of you to hear the encouragement of God at work in Mark's story and how he has been healed. So thank you so much for your testimony today. You You know, uh, Mark uh, is actually uh, a part of our elder team. And uh, earlier this week, uh, we had all of our elders over for dinner. And, and, and one of our practices that we do every time we gather together is uh, someone on our team will share a devotion. And, and Tamara, who's right over here, uh, was the one that was up. And she was, she was sharing, and she was in the middle of a reading. And in the middle of this reading, she said this phrase. She said, Disruption is God's greatest classroom. Disruption is God's greatest classroom. And I know that you've had those moments um, where God just grabs your attention, right? And I was having one of those moments, sitting at the table. I had a hard time hearing anything else that she said. In fact, the next day I said, can you take a picture of that (laughs) devotion and send it to me because I don't think I heard anything else you said because all I was reminded of how much Disruption is God's greatest classroom, and it's so true. And, you know, my next thought was, God, couldn't you come up with a better classroom? <laughs> like, c- couldn't you come up with a better way? I mean, cancer was an unbelievable disruption in Mark's life. You know, I've, I have never in my life chosen to take the class Holy Disruptions. But I have been put in that class many, many times. And we know that's true, don't we? God has a way of of grabbing our attention in moments of disruption. The very birth of Jesus was the greatest disruption 2,000 years ago. It was a holy disruption that changed everything. And I imagine there are many of us here today. and, And you identify with Mark's story. Maybe you're navigating through a health challenge, or someone you love is walking through a hard season. Perhaps it's the loneliness of this time of year, or, or the disappointment in some of your relationships, or a challenge at work, or something that you're dealing with with your finances. But you are facing your own Disruption. And if you're honest, there is a part of you that just wants to get whatever you can to make that feeling of the disruption go away. But from my experience, disruptions are actually what reveal our desperation. They reveal our desperation, they reveal our dependence. On God, and when we are desperate, we go looking for hope. It's why the wise men, it's why the wise men went looking for Jesus. It's why so many people flood into the prayer hall every single week. It's why we served hundreds of families this last week at the Christmas store and every single week through the House of Hope. It's why people come through these doors every Sunday. They come looking for God. They come looking for God. They come looking for hope. Oftentimes, what they're first met with is a beautiful, hospitable cup of coffee. Disruptions reveal our desperation. And desperation, strangely, is what fuels our faith. It's what you heard in Mark's story. That desperation for God to heal, it fuels faith, doesn't it? And it's why we're doing this by faith campaign because we know that it is in the moments of disruption in people's lives when they feel desperate for God. When they feel most desperate for God, we want to be the kind of church that is a house of prayer, a house of hope, and a house of hospitality. It's why we're inviting people to give this year end and invest in what God is doing here. It is all it is all about growing our faith. And in, in all of the busyness and the consumerism of Christmas, what if you determined today to truly go a different way? You, you know, I, I believe, I believe what I said, that giving to God gives you more than getting ever could. It has been true in my life. Every time I have stepped out in faith and have given to God, I have always received more. As a family, we've decided um, to take what we give here each month and to double that for the By Faith campaign. We want to be a part of this movement of generosity. We want to be a part of what God is doing here. In people's lives. We want to give above and beyond. It's why we're setting out to raise uh, this $325,000 above and beyond our normal giving to expand our prayer hall, to expand the cafe, and to replenish our house of hope resources. And we know that giving by faith actually grows our faith. We know that, that it grows our faith. And so my hope, my prayer for you is that you would step in. You would step in for your faith to grow this year. So there's, there's lots of different ways that we do that here. Um, but this By Faith campaign, uh, you can go to our website and find out all the information about these three different projects. Um, you can scan the QR code, and it'll take you right to the website. You can find out more about it. Uh, you know We've already seen about $95,000 given towards our goal. So we're about 30% of the way there. And, and you know this. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity so, so that so much more than just being a part of all that God is doing in and through this church, it's about doing what your heart is desperate to do, to be a person that responds to the radical love of God in your life with radical generosity, to be like those wise men that fell to their knees and worshiped God and gave him the very best gifts that they could give. So I want to invite you to stand. We're going to pray together and close out our time worshiping. I just want to invite you to open up your hands. And whatever it is today where you are feeling that desperation, maybe you're experiencing some disruption in your life, would you just open up your hands? And God, we so long to be people that are filled with the great fullness, the great fullness of God in our lives. And for whoever in this room is walking through a challenging season, God, they're struggling to find hope. God, would you remind them that you are here, that you are with them, that you are for them, that you are a God that still heals. You are at work. And God, I pray that you would turn in each of us, grow in each of us, what you might be calling us to do and to give this year end how you're calling us to be people that give, people that offer hope. We love you, and we trust you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.